0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble!
1: Y'all ready for this?
0: everybody and welcome to another Face Off. The season is getting closer. I'm your host Kate, and we thought we'd drop in a pod now because lots of stuff is happening. This is, this is going to be a very Liverpool intensive focus pod. What we thought we'd do is we would take you through just our opinions on what some of the statuses of some of the, the players around the squad have because it's a time of a lot of movement. It's been called one of the most important transfer windows under Jürgen Klopp but I, I think I'm getting a bit uh it's getting a bit repetitive like every transfer window is the most important one so let's discuss it let's discuss what players we really needs to have to move or maybe what's the status of some of these players I've got with me obviously one of my right-hand men uh, helped me a lot with the fan reaction podcasts last season which has become the co-host of uh, welcome back to Diwa how are you Tad's?
2: Yeah, not too bad. As you said, the season's getting closer. So I think, um, as AI, we also need to get our, our reps in. So glad to get a face off rep in before the season starts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And making his pod debut, I think, if I am correct, one of the new voices you're going to be hearing around on Anfield Index. We are certainly expanding our circle of podcasters, but please give a warm welcome to Jay Reed. How are you, Jay?
1: I'm great. Thanks. First pod. Yeah. So. Let's see how we got on, basically a pre debut for me.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. It, it's really nice to just expand the, the list of podcasters we have and people, we have to come on the show. So I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot of Jay into the future. So what can we get started on? Tadiwe, there was something I think you wanted to ask, Jay.
2: Yeah, I think it's always important to just get a grasp of where, where we all became Liverpool fans or maybe their moments that we fell in love with Liverpool, and I'm sure as I'm speaking, every one of us and the listeners, you know, you can sort of picture that moment or that situation. Jay, just with regards to you, obviously being scouts, I suppose your your relationship with Liverpool is a lot closer and probably started a lot earlier than some of us, but maybe you can run run your story a little bit. When did you fall in love with Liverpool? And was there ever like a battle between Liverpool and Everton who you had to... You know, pick allegiance with any family feuds or some stories like that?
1: Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> you're, you're, you're born red or you're born blue in Liverpool, unless you become Jamie Carrigan and you switch halfway through when you get a nice big contract from Liverpool. But I was born into a red family, so I had no choice when I was born. It was straight into becoming a Liverpool fan. I think my granddad already had me a Liverpool top before I was even born. Crown paints. So. If you date that back, it was 1987. So yeah, I was born into a Liverpool shirt. I'd say my earliest full memory was 1994, about seven years of age. And the game was iconic because it was the day that Robbie Fowler scored his hat-trick in about four and a half minutes against Mm -hmm. Arsenal. That's my first full game memory of going and watching Liverpool. And then... Throughout the years of being a child, I used to just maybe go two or three times a season with my uncles or my dad and catch a couple of games until I get to an older age of about 16, 17 and I get a job and I can afford to go on my own. And It's now been a regular thing, so I go to pretty much every home game that's possible and enjoy the Reds as they continue to get better and better through the years.
0: Nice. That, that's more or less my story as well. I like, I was, there was no choice. There's no choice, but I have, I, I, it's different growing up in South Africa. There's only two teams really when you know, in the eighties, it was like United and Liverpool. And so right. half my family on my mom's side is United and the other half is Liverpool. And so there's always this thing. And in fact, it happened with my girlfriend recently. We went to a wedding and they actually had this thing where they gathered around her and asked like, which team she supported. <laughs>
1: That is something that comes out all the time. As soon as you meet somebody, even in work, you you can just meet someone new and work. And the basis of any conversation tends to be football and it's first question, red or blue. And then if you give the wrong answer, it's like, oh, well, we can't talk much. Yeah, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I will
0: <laughs> I will like you less now
1: <laughs> it does it becomes like you do it. and depending on the time of the season and results like,
0: oh, yeah. you could
1: just go yeah I'm red and you go I'm blue and it's like okay we can go one of two ways here we can either <laughs> have a normal football chat or we could have a ripping match <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I must say it, it, that's one of the reasons I'm glad like there are not too many football supporting people in my office When I go into work on a Monday, (laughs) it's not the worst thing. (laughs) But speaking about newly adopted people into the Liverpool family, and uh, and talking about, I think we have a new entrant, if I can call him that. He's been linked before with us, but uh, it's just been confirmed that uh, Jadran Shakiri has become a red over you know the last couple days. It was one of the worst kept secrets, I think, (laughs) in during this transfer window. It's been quite a long saga. Uh, punctuated by the World Cup. What do you guys think? Is is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? There does seem to be quite a lot of good points, uh, mainly centered around his price tag. But, you know, maybe we could get into, into that and some of the other stuff. So, Tadiwa, I'll let you get us off on this one. What's your view on Shakiri now that he's signed? Before he signed and
2: before the window, I think my aspirations in terms of sort of a wide player you know, someone that's going to come in and rotate with the front uh, three, mostly the wingers, was hoping to be someone maybe of a, a a higher profile, so to speak. I don't know if high profile is the correct word, but perhaps maybe I was just looking for something a bit more exciting, uh, obviously, that, that transfer frenzy. But going into the window now, and as the window has progressed, you know, you you get a level of perspective and you can see the areas in which the club is actually focusing on. And I think we have to take stock of the fact that obviously last season and the season before, from a financial perspective, Liverpool's looking pretty good now. And our owners have always been, you know, advocating that Liverpool needs to be self-sustained. And we can see sort of the benefits of that. I mean, if you look at Chelsea down in London, they're, they're they're in a bit of an awkward situation now with uh, what's going on with Abramovich. So yes, they had their their good times, but if you're not financially you know self-sustainable, these situations can always pop up. So I, I then sort of started to turn my opinion on him in the sense of there are other positions in which we do need to to stock up on. And if you have a player of Jordan K Shikiri's like experience, we have to remember he's been in teams that have won leagues. I think he won the treble at Bayern. These are also off field things that are quite important to embed into a team. So he's coming in, you know, with, with, with that, with that level of, you know, maybe at Stoke, they, they didn't have those aspirations or they had those aspirations, but maybe they couldn't execute them. But coming into Liverpool, I think he's going to now feel he's in a team sort of like Bayern where the aim is to win trophies every season. And if you have a player that's done it before, I think that just helps the squad a bit more. In terms of him having been linked with us before, I think it was Pep Guardiola that actually blocked a move to Liverpool. And I wonder, got the transfer conspiracy theory here, <laughs> but I do wonder if, you know, um, you, you, we all knew Man City were gearing up to get Pep Guardiola in. They brought in Tiki um, Tiki from Barca and they brought in quite a few Barca directors and effectively, you know, they, they they said to Pep, what exactly do you need us to do at City before you come in? And obviously, he had influence with how the the their youth academy was built, their training facilities was built, the types of players they brought in. There were a few that were actually, you know, Pep recommendations, not necessarily like a transfer committee recommendation. Mm-hmm. And if if he knew he was coming into Man City and... He he had a player, you know, in Jordan Shakiri, and he's going to be going to a rival. It's one of those situations where, you know, I can just block that move just just to not necessarily that he, maybe he's not scared that Shakiri is going to you know destroy at Liverpool, but just 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 to you know just to take a dig at one of your rivals. I I I have a feeling that played a part, and you could hear in <laughs> Shakiri's first interview, he he sort of mentioned that. He was quite disappointed that he wasn't able to actually get that move over the line to Liverpool. But I suppose the important thing is he's here now. And I do think he's gonna play a role, especially coming off a World Cup year. I think you do need a big squad. And I think all of them will get, you know, minutes. We can't expect our front three to play every single game this season. Mm
0: -hmm. That's so we did it for the banter. That's why (laughs) <laughs> Jay is there any you know are there any downsides to the Shakiri thing I know he's come in quite cheap he as Tadiwa is saying that he can fulfill a really good squad role there which it was a problem a little bit late in the season especially you know as we got towards the final that we were worried about fatigue we were worried about how we're going to get into the top 4 because maybe our front three I think they played something like 80% of minutes that they could possibly play during last season that all that all is great are there any downsides to having this lad on
1: I don't think so not the way we are at the moment, given our squad situation. I mean, you only have to roll back six, seven weeks to the Champions League final. And the unfortunate case of what happened with Mo Salah. And we turned to, a, uh, I would say, 70% fit Adam Lallana, who was just coming back from multiple layoffs throughout the season. And he come on, he'd done his best. But if you had someone in Shaqiri's quality all right, so you've got to factor in, would he be fit? He is a game-changer, and you saw that throughout the World Cup. Right? He has got that quality. He's demand that makes Switzerland tick. If he weren't making them tick, then he sort of looked a bit like a flat side. And you can sort of take that into the Stoke situation as well, where he was at mm-hmm. Stoke. When he was on his game and he was playing the ball, he was making the team tick, Stoke actually got a bit more joy out of teams he was against, like, mainly through him and Crouch. And his delivery from set pieces is on like his ability on the ball just to pick a pass and reflecting that back to Liverpool and just say to the end of last season when we struggled to break teams down, he could have just been that game changer. So for me, it's, it's no risk apart from the rumored attitude and personality problems that have been in his past. But at 26 years of age, you'd like to think. This is his last big chance at a big club. He's coming into his prime years. If he doesn't take this in two or three years' time, he's out the door at the latest. And he's then looking at mid table, knocking around Europe, Turkey, somewhere else. So I think he knows it's his big chance. He's got to take it. And under clock, you can just see what he's done with players who he's brought in over the past couple of years. So for me, it's a pretty much a win win situation.
0: That's interesting. Couple of really nice points there. I like what you you know you're talking about his attitude and it was something that Jurgen Klopp like specifically addressed in his in his comments like right after the 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 transfer was done. He was like, you know, I I really like that arrogance about him and stuff like I maybe trying to turn that potential perceived negative into a positive if if we could look at it that way. But the other thing I love the point about his age, 26 and people are commenting he's younger than you think. Which I think is cool, right? That's great. But as you're saying, this might be his last chance. You know, it might be his last chance to do something. Let me chuck this one out to both of you, right? And anybody can answer this one. We seem to have a couple prospects in that position. You know, maybe uh, Kent Wilson. I know Woodburn's moved into perhaps more midfield consideration, but there's him as well. Shea Ojo. Does this signal that we're essentially looking to Fill that gap with the transfer instead of looking to our youth. Maybe it, it, does it sort of signal that I, I, our youth prospects are maybe not good enough for that position?
2: I don't think uh, we can necessarily say not good enough. I think it's, it's evidence in the new contracts. Sort of some of them have gotten. I know Wilson. I'm not sure if he signed his new contract yet, but uh, he's certainly about to sign one if he hasn't quite signed it yet. So you can see that the club has confidence in him, but. I have a feeling, and and I have a growing belief that I think it's a cyclical thing. Cyclical thing, in that this is a chance for us to, to to really go for something this season. And as we were discussing, sort of in the WhatsApp group, and and few people were were mentioning that if you look at our rivals at the moment, there are few, you know, there are few concerns for them. Maybe not, they're not as strong not necessarily as a squad, but maybe mentally or situations that just aren't going well for them. So I think it's one of those strike while the iron is hard. Pep Guardiola has to deliver the Champions League. So you can assume, you know, he, he's already won the Premier League. Obviously, he would want to defend it, but it's very hard to win back-to-back Champions League. So you can you can sort of see him leaning his focus to the, to the Champions League. Then you have the likes of Chelsea. We don't know what's going to happen there. Obviously, Surrey coming in, and he's a very good coach. But I think it will take time for him to basically change the style of play of Chelsea because they're going from a really defensive tactical coach in Conte to a, a more attacking coach in Surrey. So how will that affect them? Then with the likes of Spurs, you know, they're probably the, the more consistent team in that they've kept all their big players. It looks like they're, they're going to keep them but they've also got that pressure of they need to win a trophy. So they're in a similar boat to us. And so far, they haven't really progressed their squad in this transfer window. So I think we have a leg up on them there. With United, it's Mourinho's third season. We know how those tend to go. As well as there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of tension in that team with with, with regards to player wages. Some people aren't happy with their wages. And also the, the team chemistry itself. It doesn't seem to quite be there. Obviously, they've got players that, that, that can still turn up. But, you know, at Arsenal, it's a new manager. It's a whole new system. Wenger used to run everything from like under nines training all the way up the club. So they're also going to be, you know, they're going to be growing pains and adjustment pains there. So if you look at Liverpool, you know, we're, we're in a position where I think maybe Klopp would be saying, I'm giving you guys the new contracts, but for this season, I think we've got a chance to really go for it. So maybe, you know, sending them out on loan or, or or even keeping them around for this season, but just trying to solidify the team to really, really go for something big this season.
0: Mm, would you agree with that, Joe?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean today was theory really of yeah, strike while the iron's hot. Like a lot of clubs are in flux at the moment. So as, as he's pointed out, clearly there's there's changes going on in London with Chelsea and Arsenal, new managers. Spurs, I think they might actually let someone go. I mean, they've got to finance the stadiums, which has gone way over budget. And how long are these players going to stick around at Spurs on deemed deemed lesser wages? And we all know what Levy's approach is. If the right money comes in, he will sell. As he's mentioned, Mourinho is Mourinho in his third year. That could just turn up as a ticking time bomb. So... Yeah, the chance is there for us to strike. In regards to those young kids, um, I've only been impressed with Ojo and Wilson thus far in pre-season. And I think from what you've seen when they've all sort of had long spells out, Byron will burn because he's obviously at a younger age than the other two. Wilson and Ojo have impressed at championship level. So they also seem to have a bit of a leg up on Kent who I can see probably being shifted out around the time we get back from America. I think he's him and a few others are purely just in pre-season for bodies while we've got a few at the World Cup, mainly the front three. I would keep one of Wilson or Ojo at least until January, use them around the squad, give them minutes in the Carlin Cup, which we could hopefully progress in this year. I think, well, Carabao it's now called. And potentially a couple of Champions League games if we get a favourable draw and we get through the group early. There's a chance to give these lads some minutes in Europe and give them the experience of a big night.
0: I think that's cool. It's just, you know, we build these youth players up so much and you invest quite a lot in them. Wilson's obviously had a very successful loan spell and looks like he might be might be doing it again. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how Jurgen Klopp really uses that loan system. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with the two of them. But I, I, I like that thinking. We, other clubs are in flux a little bit, maybe with the exception of Man City. But I like to deal with point there does seem to be a little bit of, maybe a bit of a mental edge we have on them, more specifically in games that we play against each other. But maybe that can translate into something else now if we have a squad capable of challenging and who knows, you know, um, uh, I, I suppose that's what we all want for this season. So, we just want a good squad of players who will be able to challenge for the title. Speaking of which, guys, if, if the comment has been made, a good title challenge, more often than not, depends on a top-class goalkeeper. And we have to talk about Loris Karius, made a clanger, albeit in a preseason match, you know, against Tramia. Well, what do we think of that? How how does that affect us? that... Do, are we worried about preseason games? Are we worried about Loris Karius? Jay, I'll start with you on this one.
1: For me, there's two ways of looking at that. You could take three seasons is the time to get your mistakes so out. That's when you're still rusty, you still come back from your holiday. However, given the type of mistake he's made, and given how soon it was after the Champions League final, the scrutiny has come onto him massively. I think... He just needs to be taken out the firing line a bit. He's clearly not mentally there. Yeah. If that makes sense. He's, I think he's still suffering a lot because of the criticism he received, the magnitude of the error, the level that it was at. We shouldn't give up on him just yet. I mean, how how many chances have we given Simon Mingele over the past four and a half, five years? So. I don't think we should give up on him. And the British media were on carriers back from day one. I mean, it all started back in Bournemouth about 18 months ago with Gary Neville on Sky Sports. And since then, I think he's just been a target, especially for the British media in paper and in television. So he's never really had a chance. And if you look back on the stats from the end of last season or the second half, he was pretty solid. We kept plenty of clean sheets from when he was introduced into the team alongside Van Dijk, you can take both factors into consideration, but given the goals we conceded across the league, if you translate that into a full league season, we would only be conceding 30 goals a season. Now that is title winning form. Mm. So there is a case there to say, potentially, he has got what we need to win the title, but we really, really need to be very careful with what we're doing. And I think he just, even for the next two or three games in pre-season, take him off the firing line because we'll go. I'm going to Berry this afternoon. He's going to get some abuse at Berry as soon as he walks out on that pitch with his gloves on, even to warm up. The Berry fans are going to be on his back. What's it going to be like when he goes down to the Emirates, when he goes to Old Trafford, when he goes to Stamford Bridge, when he goes to Goodison Park? They're going to be 100 times more hostile than what he's going to receive this afternoon. So we really, really need to look after them. I would look at bringing in a new keeper, but we all know the difficulty in finding a keeper, whether that be one that's in our price range, one that's up to the quality that we do need. Are they available for us financially or are they willing to come to us? I don't know. I mean, that's a pure comment for speculation. Everybody has their own opinion on who they would like and who they think we should get and where the money should go. For me, I would go out and get an experience keeper of some sort maybe just someone you can bring in for two years, give you a bit of solidity, work with carriers. It takes a few from, I don't want to say this, but Salah Ferguson, he binned off a lot of keepers after Peter Schmeichel. And most notably was Massimo Taibi when he came to Anfield mm-hmm. and dropped one in the net. And he binned them within two or three games after that. He made a couple of errors. And in the end, he ended up lumping for Edmund van der Sar. And we all know all that turned out for Man United. So maybe we could just take a look down the M62 and learn a few things from old whiskey nose.
0: Mm. This is the thing, right, Jabe? Because we tended, to, we've tended to not buy very well when it comes to goalkeepers, you know, in in the past. Like basically, since Reyna had his initial spell with us, uh, you know, when he signed, we it's not been that good, and we've had a bunch of keepers who have been sort of suboptimal. That has to be put into context though, because we've not really had a team in all those years really capable of challenging for the title. You know, right. Tatiwa, how do you see this? You know, how important is a keeper to our title challenge, especially given that we've got Fabs and Nabi in. Virgil is is has has really taken that defensive berth to a different height. Lovren seems to be making less clangers recently and so on and so forth. Do we just need a keeper that is serviceable and is Karius even that keeper? Yeah, it's
2: a very, very interesting situation that we find ourselves in. And I have a feeling, you know, from January until, you know, the point where in the Champions League final where I suppose he throws the ball at Benzema, I have a feeling Klopp would have been happy with, you know, Karius and been quite comfortable going into next season with him. I think think that final's obviously put a massive, massive spotlight on him. And it just rolled back, you know, the concerns that everyone had. But if I take that little patch um, between January until the Champions League final, so to speak, I thought he did OK. And I thought, you know, from a defensive perspective, I thought the defense as a whole sort of clicked. And and we can sort of see the numbers if we look back at that that time period we were one of if not the best i think we were either first or tied for first or, or second at the least in terms of clean sheets and goals conceded so there there is a player in there and in terms of his abilities i i i think there is a player in there but for me i see it more of a of, of a mental issue than anything else i have to now question whether mentally he can come back from that and you know, we've mentioned the Tramier game. To me, it, it seemed like one of those situations where he knows he's meant to be punching one of those balls, but he's just trying to, you know, do too much. So he's thinking, you know, just, just to, you know, just to win some people back, I'm going to try and catch this. So I wonder if that's going to be something that he's going to continue to do throughout the season or if they can sit him down and sort of say, you know, just play your game. I, it's a, yeah, as I said, it's a difficult situation. I think. The problem for him will be the fact that any mistake that he makes, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a proper blunder or it's just even just a general mistake that one normal keepers make. My fear is if he was to play. I was talking to, I think Simon Brundish was on Twitter. If he were to make, let's say, if he was to play fifty six games next season, and fifty of those fifty six were, you know, fantastic, amazing games and six of those games were, you know, okay-ish. And, you know, of those six, three of them, he made mistakes, just normal keeper mistakes. People would still have their pitchforks sharpened and wanting him out, which I think is an unrealistic thing when you look at keepers in general in the sense that they will make mistakes. And then the second thing we have to take into account is the fact that in a club system, he likes to play with the front foot keeper. And, Frankfurt keepers are prone to make mistakes. We've seen with the likes of Hugo Lloris. We've seen with Edison. Probably the only exception is Neuer, but he he's, you know, he's arguably, if not, the best keeper in the world. So having a keeper that's going to be shooting off his line and playing with the ball at his feet, we have to factor in the fact that there are going to be some mistakes that are going to come in there. Now, whether or not the fans are going to be willing to, you know, get behind them after those mistakes or give him the leeway to make those mistakes. I personally don't see that happening as things stand. And unfortunately that then leads to, you know, either selling him or definitely having to what it looks like overpay for an Allison, which I think Allison is a keeper that Klopp wants, but I don't know if at that price, you know, we've seen Klopp is willing to wait for players. I can see Klopp sort of thinking I can wait for him. But he might then be pressured to to play him. But um, in terms of the keepers we do have, I think Mignolet is going to probably look to leave. I, I don't see him having a Liverpool future. In terms of Ward, obviously he's been the third choice. And for me, he hasn't been given a chance by Klopp. And I think there's a reason for that. There's something that Klopp clearly hasn't seen in him that has allowed him to give him that chance. I thought it was a mistake that we didn't loan him out last season. Um, but I suppose maybe Klopp was just keeping him as backup just in case, you know, both Mignolet and Carrias truly went, you know, off the rails. But the whole story of Ward being given a chance, I think if you if you actually go and read the article itself, Klopp is actually saying that, you know, Ward, like every other player that's in preseason, is going to get a chance to, you know, to be the number one of that position. Whereas everyone sort of took that quote. Coupled with what happened with Carius over this past week, and sort of made it as though Klopp has said, Yeah, he like he singled out Ward to say he's going to be fighting for number one. But in actual reality, Klopper just said everyone that's playing at the moment is going to be fighting for that number one, and that includes Ward. So I don't know how much weight we can put into this whole wait for number one crusade that's going on. I don't know how you guys feel about that.
0: You know what? What it's it's so hard. I mean, the I've been trying to put my thoughts together on this for the last couple of days, and it's all, everything you guys have said. Like, if we look at the situation in the most objective manner, you have a player who, for me, and I know pl- people won't won't agree with me on this, which is fine. Uh, I I think if you didn't like carriers before the Champions League final and wanted him out, I like that's everybody has their opinion. Like that's fine. I didn't have a problem with carriers. Our defense was like one of the best. I think it was. The best in terms of goals conceded since Virgil came. You know, so I didn't really have a problem with the defensive unit. I thought if Carrius carried on, like, that's no problem for me, actually. I, I thought he was that serviceable keeper. I don't think he's the best, but I definitely what you're saying to do, I think is a player in there. But then the Champions League came, the Champions League final came about and he got elbowed and concussed and he made these really, like, especially twice in one game to do those kinds of mistakes. That was really unprecedented. And I know people are saying like the shot against Roma and stuff like that. I mean, like, okay, it, it, it's sort of neither here nor there for me. I mean, he's done enough to save the ball. That's what keepers are there for. So he's done that and he's got, he's got the concussion. Now, what happens after that is he's got to go on a recovery. He's got to get his head mentally right. And I think if you have a young keeper who we assume is going to make mistakes anyway... Because, you know, they're young keepers and he's a pretty young for a keeper. Like, remember, keepers only start getting into their own really uh, a bit later in a more traditional sense. I know you have like a couple other people did the and and people like a Courtois came on quite early. But mostly keepers sort of develop after a little while. We knew he was going to make mistakes. And so we sort of didn't let that happen, especially with what Jay saying. You know, the, the press put a lot of pressure on him. We know that a lot of a lot of members of the media sort of don't like him. And now he's made this mistake but we knew he was going to make mistakes after the concussion happened. And that's where the problem sort of comes in. I'm happy to have the guy and I want him to be a good keeper and I want him to be a good player. But I also, you know, I think that changes the dynamic a lot of our defense to to do different things if we feel he's going to make more mistakes this season. And that's going to lead to more defensive errors, which is going to lead to more goals anyway. And this is the problem is we're having to choose between do we develop this kid and how much belief do we have in him versus selfishly. That's the selfless argument. The selfish argument is, is he going to cost us a title challenge this season if we can mount one? And the mitigating factor is how he responds to this mentally. And the mitigating factor to that is how we treat him in the press and how we treat him as fans. And we just can't know that. We can't know how he's going to react. It's such a difficult one. It's such a difficult one. I've actually changed my mind on this. And I think maybe the best thing for him to do is to go somewhere else and get it done. And I, the thing is, that's even hard because we can't loan him out because he knows he's coming back to Liverpool. We can't sell him because no one's going to buy a keeper who's under this much pressure and has that man, that many issues. So like, it's so complex. Every decision you make has a problem. I think the only thing Jurgen Klopp can do, given his history, is to keep him, right? But then does he play him as the number one? Wow.
2: <laughs> it's so complicated, man okay, just to touch on the concussion issue, the concern I have now is because you know concussion is very, very new to you know football well our our football as we know it, maybe American football and american sports they've they've done a lot of research and they've done a lot of work into you know educating not just the players the the staff but also the fans with, with regards to concussions as well as we've seen in rugby as well but for football you know you get those knee-jerk reactions like where he made the mistake yes um against Tranmere and then people are saying oh so was that a concussion too no it's it. for me it's just That's not acceptable exactly That's not, you, those now, jokes
0: are not acceptable
2: yeah so I think people just need to learn a bit more about you know concussions and think this is a real you know concern and a real issue you know the delivery of the news of the concussion perhaps maybe wasn't wasn't handled the right way but in terms of you know medical doctors assessing him these are medical doctors they've got you know they've got a a higher level of responsibility in how they you know assess people and even relaying information you know they can't they can't basically fake that he had the concussion you know that goes against all their ethics and all of their um sworn statements and stuff like that so it's one of those situations where once again it just seems like he's fighting an uphill battle because everything he does is going to be a knee-jerk reaction to him whether it's you know you've seen situations where Let's say a goalkeeper concedes near post, and the golden rule is a goalkeeper should never concede near post. But there are some situations where a goalkeeper does concede near post, and you just hold your hand up and say the striker did really well. But in those situations, next season everyone's going to the first, you know, the first instinct is going to be to just blame carriers, and I I don't know how he's going to be able to handle that. That's my concern. But in terms, Mm. as you said, Mm. I, I don't mind him being the keeper. I think. He's done enough to show that he can be the keeper. It's just, can he handle now the the backlash that he's going to get for you know, and a lot of it is probably going to be quite unwarranted and undeserved.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with those points. (laughs) We'll we'll just have to see how the season plays out. Preseason is going to be interesting. I think we're just going to have to look at what's going to happen in preseason and take a judgment from there. What else can we do? What else can we do as fans? You know, I, I think I think he's going to, I think he's going to be here to stay. Uh, it's, it's just for this season you know I, I i really do think so i we cannot go back to migs though we cannot. sorry <laughs> that, that that cannot happen so we'll have to see and and hopefully he can come out over preseason. i think that's our that's our best option now that we've got available yeah so i mean what, that, that's the other thing do you guys buy into this issue of the goalkeeping coach achterberg you know not doing very well his track record is not great but you know the, We've had a lot of players go on to other leagues and do well, but you could argue that those leagues are maybe not as strong in some cases. In other cases, like in the in in the example of uh, Pepe Reina, he didn't go to a worse league, but he was always class, and it was going to show kind of eventually. Do you have faith that our coaching staff can bring Carriers back up to scratch?
1: I don't think Achterberg should be at our club, and he shouldn't have been about three or four years ago. I Regularly get into the game early purely to watch the warm ups. I like to see Mm -hmm. both teams. So like who we're playing against, like how they're shaping up. And also if you've ever managed to catch Liverpool warm up just before the game, they'll go through certain routines and then Achterberg warms up both of the keepers and he just can't move. He looks so rigid. And for me, I've done a bit of coaching in my time and. I come from university doing a sports coaching degree. And one of the things that we got told was, you've got to be able, sort of, to show what you want the player or the athlete to do. Obviously, given given certain sports in specifics, it will be hard to give an example. But for me, as a football coach, I wouldn't ask a player to do something that I didn't feel... Too comfortable showing myself, and for somebody who's being a professional goalkeeper, albeit at a lower level, and then he's now at a top level club as a goalkeeping coach. If he physically can't show the players what he wants them to do, are they really going to learn? I mean, Real Madrid came to Anfield a couple of years ago when they've got a much older old goalkeeping coach, and he was throwing himself around the pitch as was Ikuo Hasegawa at the time, and you just think. Mm-hmm. You learn from that guy in front of you who's showing you what he wants you to do and telling you what he wants you to do. If you can physically see that example, six, eight yards in front of you on the training pitch, pre-game, every day, then you're going to eventually pick up them traits. He's going to show you what he wants you to learn. And for me, he just doesn't physically look able. And yeah, he can take it back to his track record of goalkeepers who we have had through his time. And a lot of them, if not all of them, have regressed at his time at Liverpool and some have gone on to bigger and better things, i.e. Pepe Reina, Brad Jones, uh, Feyenoord, I think it is, in Holland, he went on and won a league title the year after he left us. So the talent is there within some of the goalkeepers that we've got and that we've had. Is he the man to unlock it? Not for me, no. So he is probably one that does need to be looked at as well as the goalkeepers themselves.
0: You know, the other thing, thing, Jay, is I'm pretty sure, I was pretty sure this is how it worked before, but I think there was a news report recently that came out and confirmed that basically your goalkeeping coach has to give input into the keepers that you're buying. So, you know, if, if you if you go, yeah, I, I would think that's normal because you have to look at the, the guy and say, can I coach this person? Can I make him better? Can this player do what I want him to do? Is he the right profile for the kind of way that we sort of play? And can I coach that way that we need to do to make this way of play come about from a goalkeeping perspective? Now, if we look at that, that's also not a very good record. I mean, it, it means either we bringing in the wrong kind of keeper, the wrong profile of keeper, or that we can't coach it. Today, where I'm looking at that and saying, if this was another top club, and literally all other top clubs have had more good keepers in the time since Reyna, would that be allowed? Would we not be looking at that section and going, we need a change here, or are we being overly harsh enough to go?
2: I don't know if he has some info on someone at the club that (laughs) just can't be (laughs) (laughs) leaked. Because to me it seems like if we can take any, you know, practical example in life, you know, insanity is doing the same things over and over again and, you know, expecting different results. And you've got to take the, you know, you've got to take the outlier here. We've had so many keepers come through him and none of them have improved. I, I don't know if we can name a single one who has improved, you know, with him at the home. And the common denominator here is John Atterberg. So logically, you know, from my perspective, I'll be thinking that's something I'd have to question. But I don't know if maybe then he's offering something more at the club than necessarily just being the goalkeeper coach. Maybe he's the one that, from a mental side, keeps the players, you know, um morale up or he's doing another job that's seen as very vital because every single manager that's come in you know they come in with their own backroom staff but john is the constant he's the only one that ever stays i don't think many other of the backroom staff stay on after a manager is gone so perhaps also he could be the link maybe with the between the guys upstairs and you know the coaching staff maybe he's their Link or the guy they go to to ask how things are going or whatever. So there's clearly something that that he's doing that they're seeing. There's a tremendous amount of value in. But in terms of specifically being a goalkeeping coach, I'm I'm not seeing where he's adding that value to us. And it's an unfortunate thing because obviously you want everyone to do well. You don't want anyone to lose a job. But as fans, we have to objectively question these things. That time and time again, goalkeepers are coming in and they're not getting better. But as you say, Kay, is is it a matter of we're not bringing in the type of goalkeepers he likes to work with? But if you look at Mignolet and if you look at Carriers, those are two very different goalkeepers. So, you know, even Pepe Reina, Brad Jones, Bogdan when he came in. I mean, even the goalkeeper signings themselves, some of them have been quite questionable. And I would imagine a lot of coaches rely heavily on their goalkeeping coach on who to bring in. Um, you know, the, the outfield players, you can sort of maybe see, you know, where you see the talent and, you know, people can justify that to you. But in terms of goalkeeping coach, I would imagine uh, uh, any managers relying fully on his goalkeeping coach, who's the one that decides, you know, who to bring in. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the goalkeepers we've always looked to bring in. It's always a project goalkeeper. I can't remember the last time we brought a goalkeeper in where this we knew, thing, yeah. you know, he's at his peak or he's reached his potential. Every single goalkeeper we bring in is one that needs to grow. And if you bring in goalkeepers that need to grow and all of them are regressing under this man, that has to be questioned.
0: Jay, let me ask you a change track just a little bit on this carrier's question. There have been sort of reports coming out more recently that Jurgen Klopp sort of doesn't really put a lot of emphasis on the goalkeeping function. The sort of accusation is he didn't really do that at Dortmund and he's not really doing that here. He more concentrates on putting a system in place that doesn't allow a lot of shots, but as we've seen, that, that doesn't always work well when you don't have the, the specific personnel to do that. Do you buy that? How how important is a goalkeeping function to the Klopp systems? from what you've seen?
1: I mean, it, it's got to be vital, purely for the success of the team. You've got to have that last line of defence, and it's got to be solid. Going back to his Dortmund days, from what I remember rightly, he went into Dortmund from Mainz and Roman Vardafella was there and he was a pretty solid goalkeeper. He was there for many years and I don't think he had to really bother with the goalkeeper. So maybe he has that approach or he's come with that mentality of, well, I stepped into Dortmund and I had this goalkeeper and he was there. He was fine. And... Maybe it's something that's just slipped out of his mind. It's something that he's not got to think about. He's come to Liverpool. Mingle was there. All right, we all know the issues regarding Zion Mingle. But maybe for this goalkeeper's been there a couple of years. I'll not have to bother with the goalkeeper right away. I've got other issues in the team I'll sort out. He's obviously realised pretty quickly, and he went out and got carriers that summer. Well, his first summer at Liverpool. We've all seen how that's worked out. So I don't know if he has a little bit of an ignorance and we know what Klopp's like. He is a stubborn guy. So maybe he does put a lot of emphasis into John Afterberg and thanking a lot of his thoughts and his opinions. We obviously don't know what goes on on the training pitch. So somebody must be doing something and saying certain things to each other to convince Klopp whether John Afterberg can talk the talk or can't walk the walk. Maybe that's what it is. But it's a huge issue for me. you don't win a title without a good goalkeeper. And I don't think there's many teams in the Premier League who've won titles in the past 10, 15 years who've not had a solid goalkeeper. Even Leicester had cash Michael in that one season. He, is he was solid. phenomenal. Yeah,
0: no, he's, he's fine. He's, he's not like the best keeper in the Premier League, but he's he's solid. It's fine enough because you've got those uh, really good centre-backs in front. I mean, the way that they played just brought out his strength. So he turned into a really solid keeper.
1: Yeah, he he, he done what he had to do in that. In that team, he knew that when it was time to drop the, the two guys in front of him were gonna drop and he didn't have to rush up his line. Yet yeah, it's a different playing style to so before. But for that team, he is the right goalkeeper.
0: I think the last one I can remember, Jay, is like maybe Fabian Bartez, did he win the Premier? He he
1: was he was not a
0: he was not He's great, not great,
1: <laughs> no, but he maybe he did win the Premier League with United. But then you are probably stretching back about 13, 14 years.
0: Uh, yeah, but that's one. That's the only one I can remember. Yeah,
1: in in recent in but recent memory, yeah. One. I mean, you could you could yeah. drag it back even further and probably find somebody has had a pretty poor goalkeeper and got away with it. But you take it back through the years, everyone has always had a solid goalkeeper and one that they've stuck with throughout the time. Even David De Gea started off mm. ropey and the United stuck with him, and his quality shone through in the end. And we all know how good he is now. So it's a really tough one, this goalkeeping situation. It's something that you can't just lightly go and it's not as easy as just going, yeah, we'll go and sell him and spend £89 on on Oblak because it's not what we do and it's not an easy transfer. You can't just go and take a goalkeeper like that from another club. We're not bankrolled like some other teams. Mm. So it's a really, really tough situation that it needs a lot of time and a lot of force into who is going to make that key decision. And if it is going to be Jürgen Klopp and he does stick with Carius, then his neck's on the line more than is neck's
2: on the line. Yeah, and Bartes mm. won. Yeah, That's, that's a good point. Bartes yeah. did win two Premier
0: League titles at United. But I think... <laughs> The, the thing that keeps coming... Let me, put it, let me put it to you this way, Tad, is like we've seen Liverpool linked to o Black who seems to be going from, if I've gotten this right, Mo, if if it's not, please uh, feel free to correct me um, wherever. But uh, Mo Chatra's thread on our finances, you know, it, it seems that we can't get o Black because we need a huge lump sum payment to get him in. So much if not all of that 100 million buyer clause or whatever that thing is, it's it, it's going to be a lump sum, which we don't have, right? And then we're looking to get Alisson. Is there a perfect keeper out there for us, Titiwa? And is it worthwhile going to get... Because even Allison is, is he's making eyes at Real Madrid, it seems. And you would, you, you know, if, if it's a choice between the two, you probably would go for Real Madrid, obviously. Is there a perfect keeper out there? Is it worthwhile just going to get a solid keeper? Does that kind of buy exist?
2: For me, the all-black rumours, I pay no attention to, if I'm being brutally honest. Because we've seen Klopp likes players that fit his system everywhere else on the field. It's about the player fitting into a system and even like the likes of Coutinho and sometimes Sturridge, uh, well, and Sturridge, so to speak, they both, you know, it's, it's known that they didn't necessarily fit into Klopp's system and he kind of had to shoehorn them into, you know, different positions. So, You can see he's struggling with that type of thing where you have to fit my system. And all black, if we're being truthfully honest, he doesn't suit a Klopp system. Klopp says he wants that front foot, you know, front foot, um, goalkeeper. He has to be comfortable with his feet. Our attacks start from the goalkeeper. He has to be very good at distribution. You, You know, all these type of things. He has to come shoot off his line. It's what allows us to have our, you know, high line from a defensive perspective. And All Black doesn't play in a system like that, unless you're saying that you know the the coaching staff are comfortable in bringing All Black in and retraining him in that position. But as we said, we already don't trust the goalkeeper coaching staff. So for me, I, I, I'm struggling to see. Maybe maybe you guys can help me out if if you guys think that he is suitable to us. But I don't see in any way, shape, or form All Black would be coming to Liverpool because. First of all, because he doesn't suit Klopp's system, he's not a front foot keeper. He likes his defense right on top of him, and then he can pull off those amazing saves. So, in terms of Allison himself, he's been quoted as saying that the reason he didn't want to come to England was because Edison is in England and Edison is in a better team in England. So his fear was, you know, they're they're both fighting for the number one jersey in Brazil. And if I'm in the same league as Edison and he's winning the title every season, obviously that's going to be, it's going to look better to the national selectors, you know, and we could, you can even point to the argument of Firmino versus Gabriel Jesus, you know, as Liverpool fans, and maybe it's a biased view for us, it was all a no brainer that Firmino should be starting ahead of Jesus, whereas Jesus was coming from a, you know, Premier League winning team. Did that play a factor? In, 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 in him starting ahead of Firmino. So you can see where that concern is coming from from Allison. But the problem for Allison is Real Madrid just aren't going to be paying what Roma wants, you know, what Roma are wanting for him. Whereas I can see Liverpool um, would be more willing to reach those heights, not necessarily to pay the 80 million uh, euros as quoted, but maybe somewhere closer to there. In terms of the merry-go-round as well, we have to take into account Courtois. Who's desperate to get back to Madrid? I don't think he cares which Madrid club he goes to, but sort of his family is there, his girlfriend lives there. Um, he 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 seems a bit fed up at Chelsea, and these rumours have been going on for a year. So if there's a keeper that Madrid are signing, and his value he's been valued at less than Alisson, I could actually see Courtois going to Real Madrid, and then I think it will be a battle between Liverpool and Chelsea to try and get. Um, to now try and get Allison in. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can shed some light. Do you think all black fits Klopp's system? Because I genuinely can't see what characteristics he's shown to fit into the system. And I think it's unfair to, you know, to say on the one end, I'm not disputing the, the quality of the keeper himself. I think he's a fantastic keeper, if not one of the best three keepers in the world. That's not for dispute. But purely the fact that Klopp. Buys players to fit a system, and if that player doesn't fit a system, I don't see why Klopp would buy him. And on top of that, spend you know eighty nine million or you know, yeah,
1: yeah. It was like you read my mind yesterday Where I was thinking Courtois is the key in potentially this whole merry-go-round of goalkeepers. If he goes to a Madrid team, there's obviously as it stands, Real Madrid are looking for a goalkeeper. So. It would be an open slot for him to go straight in there. Chelsea would then obviously require a goalkeeper. and um, We've all seen that there's tentative links towards Alisson. Should he go to Atletico Madrid, back to where he used to play, it's a club obviously he feels comfortable at. Diego Costa went back there. Filipe Ruiz went back there, both from Chelsea. So that could be another route that he might just want to take back to Atletico Madrid where he feels comfortable. Obviously then that frees up our black. For me, I don't think he just fits our system at all. And I hate to say it, but if David De Gea went to Real Madrid and Corsa went to Atletico Madrid, Manchester United would be the perfect club in England for Jan Black at the current time. They seem to play his style of football in. They drop low. They have a solid bank of four in front of him. He knows where his players are all going to be. And he can just do what he has to do in shaving shots. Klopp as you've said and rightly so he wants players to fit the system and he's proven over the past few years if that player isn't available he's going to wait so i don't think our black is the answer allison i can't say i've seen enough of him i only literally seen him twice in the two roma games and a few times in the world cup there must be a goalkeeper out there somewhere but i honestly don't know who and at what cost it's going to be to us financially to get someone in at the quality that we need because we're going to need someone of a better quality than Karius and we know he's not the worst goalkeeper out there. So if we're going to improve, it's at what price?
0: Ooh. Yeah. Wow. This is this has been a proper face-off, guys. We've, we've talked for an hour and ended up no closer to an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no better debate than that. I was hoping to get through a couple of other players, but it's, it's both of your fault. You've raised such interesting points that I've just kept on going on about carriers. But guys, maybe we can save that for another pod into the future. Maybe listeners, you out there can just suggest um, a couple of plays that you want us to go through and maybe do a face off about just deep dive into whether we keep them or not. That is time for us today. It's been really enjoyable. I have really quite a lot of fun. How was, how's your first pod been, DJ?
1: It's been very good. I mean, I won't lie, I was nervous coming into this. I didn't know how I was going to take it, how I would feel. But it's just like sitting down with your mates, having a good chat in the pub after the game. Everybody's got their own view. And as we said earlier on before the pod, somebody out there will agree with me. Somebody out
2: there will disagree with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's it. How has it been for you, Teddy? And do you have any plugs, actually?
2: Um, Yeah, it's been good to, to get back. In terms of plugs... I'll be doing the transfer podcast tomorrow and I think obviously it's good that it's done tomorrow after the Bury game today was it Barry. in terms of Twitter you can find me at the ace of nave 7 and if anyone out there knows you know can can give me reasons why they think All, all, all black is a is a realistic target please 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 send it to me because I, I would love nothing more than for him to come in. I just don't see how he puts a clock system.
0: There you have it, folks. All hate mail directed at <laughs> <neighborhood laughs> <and on Twitter. laughs> you. Yeah. Jay, any plugs from you? And uh, and do give out your Twitter handle as well so people can get following. Yeah,
1: you, you can follow me on Twitter at, at jreed1987. It gives away my age a little bit. <laughs> Other than that, no, get involved in AI. Listen to the free pods. Get on the trial if you're not on the pro there's loads of content on there and i mean i spend a lot of time in work listening to pods mostly ai and they fill up eight hours of my shift sometimes just listening to ai pro alone so yeah get involved do make sure you sign up and take advantage of all the content that's out there
0: nice one nice one then effectively leaves me from my plug so that's been pretty really cool all right guys enjoy the preseason. Keep it locked here. We will see you again very soon for more player discussions. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast
1: Network.